we do ask that you'll open our eyes, that we may see the wonders in your word, that we may understand what you want us to get out of this, and that it may touch our hearts. And Father, that we may not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We ask these things in your name. Amen. If you have Luke 24 open first, we're going to Acts 2 in a while, but uh, Luke 24 is where we're starting. Last time I was here, we focused in on Luke chapter 24, verses 46 to 48, where there was a clear command that we were to be witnesses to our Lord Jesus, to his death and his resurrection, and to proclaim repentance and forgiveness in his name. That sums up last time. Let me confess to you that while I clearly understand that in my head, I hope, just like most of you, I'm a little bit intimidated sometimes when I find myself in real life situations and actually am called upon to be a witness with people I don't know or more so among family and friends. We all know that speaking about Jesus can lead to tension and rejection at times. Now, I may sound good at speaking to others, but I don't always feel confident about it myself. And I'm not always confident I'm going to get it right when I open my mouth in front of family and friends. I can think about times where I haven't got it right. But guess what? God knows that that's what we're all like at heart. And God knows exactly what our weaknesses are. He understands them. And that's why, right after he commanded us to be witnesses, he added verse 49. Let's read verse 46 to 48 together with verse 49 as a unit. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Right after our Lord Jesus gave a very clear command about what our mission is, he gave them a second command. Wait for power. What Jesus calls us to do, he equips us to do. But what sort of power? Power for what? What does the power look like? This power is, I think, often badly misunderstood, particularly by some people who hear the word power and different ideas of their version of what power might look like for a Christian, and they run off expecting all sorts of power. So we're going to take a little bit of time and unpack exactly what Luke wants us to see that power is and what it's for. The best way to understand any part of the Bible is to listen very carefully to the exact words and to put them in context of the surrounding passage. The danger is we half listen, hear the word power, and we run off enthusiastically without properly understanding what it's actually said in context. When one of my sons was about two years old, One morning he wanted to go downstairs and play while he was still in his pyjamas. I told him very clearly, no, you can't go downstairs and play in your pyjamas. 
And then I went about what I was doing. I looked over a little while later, and there was his pyjamas sitting in a pile at the top of the stairs. And there he was, running around the backyard, happily playing naked. He heard clearly when I said, no, you can't go downstairs and play in your pyjamas. But had he really got what I was trying to say to him? Listening properly in context is very important. The danger is, if we don't listen carefully to the scripture in context, we can find ourselves, metaphorically speaking, running around naked, trying to do God's work. We need God's power to be able to be a witness for him. We can't do it on our own. We'll probably mess it up in our own strength. But we need to understand exactly what he's telling us that power is and what it's for. So let's listen carefully to exactly what Luke 24:49 is saying in its context. We need to let the passage of scripture show us what the power is and what it's for. What we're going to do is we're going to start off in the immediate context, then work ourselves out to the wider context. So let's start in the immediate context. To state the obvious, Luke verse 24-49 is directly attached to Luke 24-48. This is not rocket science. The giving of power is tied to his command to be witnesses and proclaim. This verse is talking about a power for speaking. A power for speaking. As we move out into the wider context in a little while, we're going to move out to Luke Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which says, I'll read it out, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Very similar words. Again, witness and power are inseparably linked. Just like back in Luke 24. This shouldn't surprise us in any way. You know how when you're watching Netflix and you start the next episode, and they start the next episode by giving you just a little recap of the important bits from the last episode you need to remember as you go to the next episode? Luke's doing exactly the same thing. Netflix learnt it from Luke. I like to think, anyway. Acts picks up exactly where Luke finishes. Luke wrote them both. They're a sequel. It's no surprise. It finishes with witness and power, and then Acts starts with witness and power. It probably goes without saying that as we go into Acts chapter 2, it's made clear that the power, the unnamed power, in Luke 24 is the Holy Spirit. But now we're going to span back into the earlier parts of Luke 24. I hope you're still there. And then after we've done that, we're going to go forward into Acts 1 again. 1 and 2. Let's let God's word tell us what this empowering is about. 
As we read Luke and Acts together, Luke has deliberately built into them a dynamic. A dynamic of the flow from Luke to Acts. In Luke 24, we are meant to be seeing the disciples in a unique, unrepeatable point in history. In Luke 24, Jesus has already risen from the dead. But the Spirit has not yet been given. That's not going to happen yet till Acts 2. The disciples have the prophecies. They have an empty tomb. They even have the resurrected Jesus. But we're going to read through and see that they're still bumbling along without understanding, without purpose and without power before Jesus gives the Spirit. They only understand at set times when God steps in and says, okay, let me just now open your eyes and let you see what's going on now. As Luke 24 starts, back in verse 1, Jesus has died and he's been buried. 24 verse 1 tells us it's now the first day of the week. That is three days after he was buried. What did Jesus tell them to expect three days after he was buried? Let's see what actually happened. Luke 24, we're going to skip through quickly, try to follow the verses. If we look at verses 2 to 4, the stone is rolled away, the body is gone, and the women are full of joy at the resurrection. No. The NIV says they were wondering about this. The ESV says they were perplexed. What could possibly have happened? Why is the tomb empty? The tomb is empty. Jesus had predicted this would happen. But without the Spirit to open their eyes, they didn't get it. They couldn't join the dots. Until in chapter 2 verse 4 and 5, The angels speak with the power from God and they empower the words of prophecies. Then they get it. Move on, verses 9 to 11. The women then told the apostles about the empty tomb and told the apostles about the angels. And the apostles rejoiced at the resurrection. No. Without the Spirit, look at verse 11. Their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, in verse 12, ran to the empty tomb. He found it empty, and he even found the grave clothes. But still, without the Spirit, in the words of verse 12, he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Why don't they get it? They have numerous Old Testament prophecies telling them this would happen. Jesus several times had predicted this was exactly what was going to happen. They have the empty tomb. They even have the grave clothes laying there with nothing in the grave clothes. They have the, they have the the apostles have the report from the women about what the angels have said. But without the Spirit, they still can't see what is right in front of their eyes. They are spiritually blind. But it keeps going. 24 verse 13. The disciples, two other disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
Now, to their partial defence, verse 16 tells us that they were supernaturally kept from revealing that it was actually Jesus they were speaking to. But as they're talking to this mysterious man they can't recognise, from their own mouths, in verse 19 to 24, they themselves outline one reason after another that should have led them to believe that Jesus had risen. But as Jesus himself says in verse 25, they are foolish and slow to believe all that the prophets have said. Until verse 27, and if you skip forward and read 27 and 32 together, their hearts burned within them once Jesus explained the scriptures. And in verse 31, they finally saw who he was when he divinely revealed himself in the breaking of the bread. Then as we read on, the incident with the apostles, verse 36, Jesus himself appeared to the apostles with the Emmaus pair. They no longer need the words of the Old Testament prophecy. They no longer need the testimony of others. They have Jesus in the flesh right there in front of them. But you've picked the pattern, haven't you? You know what's going to come. More of foolish and slow to believe. Look at verse 37. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a ghost. Look at verse 38. They were troubled and doubts arose in their mind. Until verse 44 to 45, where Jesus himself explained the scripture. And here is the key. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now this is not just referring to an intellectual understanding. It's not less than an intellectual understanding, but it's much more than just an intellectual understanding. It's divine insight with spiritual wisdom. God has opened their eyes and opened their minds so that they can see what with natural worldly eyes humans cannot see and understand. To see what the world considers in the words of 1 Corinthians 1 foolishness and even offensive. Now let's just tie all this together. In one sense... Luke, as an historian, is just telling us what happened. But in another sense, Luke, as a missionary theologian, is showing us what we would all be like without the power of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. The people in Luke 24 were in that unique position between the resurrection but before the giving of the Spirit. They don't yet have the Spirit. They're still waiting for him to be poured out. So they function as a model for us of what it's like to try and follow Jesus and understand the scriptures and all of it without the Holy Spirit. In each case, they are looking in their own power and listening to others, but without the Spirit, they don't get it. They are spiritually blind. But then God opens their eyes. Then they can see. Then the point is clear. And the point is clear to us. 
we need the power of God to open our eyes to see. The events in Luke 24 leading up to verse 49 show us exactly why they had to wait for the power before they were to be witnesses. Because they needed the power to open their eyes. To open their eyes so they could see. How can you be a witness if you can't understand what you've seen yourself? And to open the eyes of those they're about to bear witness to. Reading in context is always so important. The events of earlier in 24 show us what 2449 means. But so do the events after 2449. They show us too. The Gospel of Luke finishes in just a few more verses after 49. But if we keep reading into Luke's sequel, the book of Acts, Luke then shows us the apostles doing witness with the power of the Holy Spirit. As we keep reading through Luke, through Acts, sorry, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit, whom they've been waiting for, is given to the church. And after that, we no longer find any instructions in the New Testament to wait for the power of the Spirit. The rest of Acts, Paul, and the rest of the New Testament all assume that now, after Acts 2, the Spirit has come for the church. The rest of the New Testament believes that the believers in the church have the Spirit. And once we have believed in Jesus, we have the Spirit within us, and we don't have to wait for the coming of the Spirit anymore. Before Pentecost, the Lord gives special insight in special situations, like when the angels explained, like when Jesus personally explained. But after Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out. So we all have the Spirit to understand the Word. So what do we see after Acts 2? The first thing we notice is that after the Spirit is poured out, Peter now understands. In that sermon, which Janet read out for us, he stands up and he gives a sermon which clearly explains what Jesus' death, resurrection and the pouring out of the Spirit means. Peter now gets it. Now he's got the Spirit. The Spirit has opened Peter's eyes. Of course, as we keep reading through the book of Acts, we see that Peter does still have more to learn, more to see, and more to understand. The Spirit doesn't teach us everything all at once. But with time, studying the Scriptures, praying for insight from the power of the Spirit, the Spirit opens our eyes. Sometimes we hear and read the Spirit and read the Scriptures and sometimes the Spirit opens our eyes and we just go, wow, and see it instantly. Sometimes the Spirit chooses in His wisdom and in His timing to use His power to gradually open our eyes as we pray and read over hours, days, weeks, months, and sometimes even years. 
What usually slows down the spirit of the work, work of the spirit, is usually not the spirit, but our hard hearts and our lack of scripture reading and prayer. But the spirit does his work in his timing to open our eyes so that we understand. That's his power. Now, after Acts 2, they and we can be faithful witnesses because the Spirit provides power for us to see and understand. The second thing we see as a result of the power of the Spirit coming, now that Peter understands, Peter is bold to speak. In Luke 22, back earlier, he denied three times that he knew Jesus. But then after Acts 2, he boldly stands up and bears witness before the very people who crucified Jesus and before those who would later stone Stephen to death. Where were any of Jesus' followers when he was arrested and being crucified? They'd all run away. Or they were watching from a safe distance. But after the Spirit is poured out, we read numerous testimonies throughout the book of Acts of many of them bearing witness, even when there was a cost. My mind goes back to times where I think I was too confused and too timid to speak. I didn't pray and I didn't rely on the power of that Spirit which I had because I was a Christian. And I said nothing. But I'll give you one example where I did rely on the power of the Spirit and he did empower me spectacularly. I'm not saying this to show off, just to show you what God can and will do. We'd been praying for boldness, me and my friends, and we were walking through a Muslim suburb, through the shopping centre of a Muslim suburb, up and down, handing out copies of the Gospel of Luke in Arabic to anyone who would take them. We handed them out to a group of young men sitting around drinking coffee in the main street, as young Arabic men do. We kept going up the shops, we got to the end, we turned around, we're coming back. And as we were approaching that group of young men again, I saw standing in front of them one guy, big. He was tall and he was enormous. And he had a ball of fire burning in his hand. And as we got closer, I saw that he'd scrunched up the gospel track we'd given them, put it in his hand and put his cigarette lighter to it and it was burning. And he was glaring at me through the burning gospel I'd given him. As we got even closer, I noticed a big knife scar running across his face. And he looked even bigger the closer I got. I was scared. So I prayed to the Lord (coughs) to give me words to speak. When I got there, the words just came out of my mouth. I was as surprised by them as he was. You've burnt the sacred injil. Muslim name for the scriptures. What will you burn next? The Quran? Where will you find forgiveness for this? Here, take this, take another copy and read in the Injil how the prophet Isa, their name for Jesus, can give you forgiveness for what you've done. He just wilted and ran away. The Spirit empowers witness by giving understanding and boldness. He may have wilted and run away, but all his mates were looking at the scriptures then. I know they were going to go on my way and read them. 
Now, that was an extreme example I gave. Those sort of things don't happen very often. But what does happen often is if we pray for boldness and step out in faith to speak the words of witness, he is faithful and the Lord will use those words. The third thing we see that happens in the book of Acts is after the Spirit comes, is people hear, they understand, and they repent. After the Pentecost, with the Spirit empowering his words, Peter testifies in witness to the resurrected Jesus, and 3,000 people believe that day. By Acts chapter 4 verse 4, the number has grown to 5,000, to 4,000, now 5,000, and it just keeps growing. Now the Spirit has come, as the words are spoken, the hearers hear the words and the words hit the target and they understand and are convicted. He opens the eyes and the minds of the hearers to bring new life. As we keep reading through the book of Acts, after the giving of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, there are so many times through the book of Acts where Luke gives a little narrator's summary at the end of a story to make sure that we get the point to the story. A quick scan through those narrator's summaries is very eye-opening. In 2.47, he summarises, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In Acts 6.7, and the word of the Lord spread. In Acts 8 verse 4, and they preached the word of the Lord wherever they went. The summary in 8.25. And they further proclaimed the word of the Lord, going on, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. 8.40. Philip went about preaching the gospel. Acts 12.24. And the word of God continued to increase and spread. Acts 13.49. And the word of the Lord spread through the region. Acts 16.5 And the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Acts 18.23 They went out from there strengthening all the disciples. Acts 19.20 And this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And Acts finishes with a final summary in 28.30 Boldly and without hindrance he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke, in his summary statements throughout the book of Acts, wants us to see that the power of the Spirit is primarily so that the word of the Lord might spread, that the church might grow, and the disciples might be strengthened. The word of the Lord is powerful because the Spirit empowers it. Now, as we finish a word of caution or balance through this. As we read through each of the stories in the book of Acts, there are also times where the witness is meant with indifference and even hostility. Sometimes, rather than 3,000 being converted, our witnesses end up laughed at, Acts 17. They end up driven out of town in Acts 13 and Acts 17. They end up imprisoned, Acts 16 and Acts 21. They even end up stoned to death in Acts 7 
in Acts 14. One of those rejections was where Stephen bore witness and then was stoned to death. It looked to human eyes like complete failure. But God was at work through that incident bearing witness to a young persecutor by the name of Saul. Stephen never saw that with his own eyes while he was alive. We speak, God empowers it. Even if we don't humanly see what he's doing. The Spirit doesn't bring everyone to faith. Nor does the Spirit always bring faith to immediate people to faith immediately when and where we would like it to happen. We don't control the Spirit. But in his own timing, in his own way, the Spirit does work through the words of witness to bring people to faith and to bring Christians to strength and maturity. Our job is to speak in witness. His job is to work through his word when and where he wants in power. Nothing stops the spread of the word. The church continues to grow. In fact, at times, the rejection of the witness and the persecution of the church actually leads to the growth through the power of the Spirit, through the witness in persecution, even under suffering. Final wrap-up. In conclusion, we have been commanded to be witnesses, to speak. What we have been commanded to do, the Spirit empowers us to do. He has given us the Spirit to empower us, to empower us to open our eyes so that we can see and understand to empower us to give us boldness and courage to speak when we humanly don't have it ourselves and power to open the eyes of those we speak to so that they can see Jesus and be convicted of their need to turn to him. It won't always go the way we want it to. Sometimes our witness is resisted by the hearers and sometimes the spirit gradually opens and softens their hearts over time but sometimes he will dramatically and radically work to bring new life instantly. We may be rejected at times, but be faithful and obediently speak. He will use those words. I read a survey once among Australians who had become Christians from a non-Christian background. And apparently it's very common, in fact the most common, for Christians to speak to different Christians, Christians before they were Christians, to speak to different Christians as many as 12 or more times before they actually gradually become a Christian. Keep speaking. The Spirit is working through your words. Those who He wants to bring to faith, He will even if it takes 12 or more times and you're just one more step in the chain. Our job is to be witnesses, knowing and trusting that the Spirit is working through those words. We speak, he empowers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've not just given us a job and then left us on our own to do it. We thank you for the power of the Spirit 
to empower us to do what we just could not do on our own. Father, we confess the times where we have not relied on the power of your spirit and either chickened off or tried to do it in our own power. Father, may we always call upon and draw upon that power that you have given us. And Father, we look forward to seeing you work through your power, through our witness from here on. Amen.